Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. In many of these podcasts, we get a chance to look behind the scenes of a parish or a diocese. Each time there is great hope or great momentum, we always find great people. I'm Ron Huntley, your host. Today's episode is titled, Can a Diocese Change the Way They Lead? Our guest today is Jim Jensen, who works with Archbishop George Lucas in Omaha, Nebraska. And he shares with us today what he is learning and where they are daring to go. Enjoy the conversation. Lift off and the clock has started. Every now and again in my coaching, I get an opportunity to meet somebody who's leading in a way that captures my imagination and attention. And Jim Jensen, our guest today, is one of those people I am so blessed to have met and I love to keep my eye on because of his passion, his enthusiasm, and the people that he brings around him. Jim is the Director of Pastoral Services at the Archdiocese of Omaha, and our guest today, welcome, Jim. Thank you, Ron. Really, it's great to be with you. This is, re- this is really fun. And I, I mean, we're already, you know, we've been chatting for a while. I was like, oh, we should actually record the podcast. We're having too much fun together. So, I, yeah, so fun to be here. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And I know at the end, we're going to point people towards the podcast that you host out of the diocese, because I'd love for people to connect with that. And uh, But you're usually on the other side of this microphone. You're the I person, am. Yeah, asking the questions and steering the conversation. So welcome yeah, to the it's other fun, side. It's fun, to be, it's fun to be the guest. You know, when, when you're the host, it's like, okay, you know, I have this little mantra. I'm like, not the star, not the star, not the star. I'm trying to, you know, to highlight uh, other people. So it's, yeah, it's fun to, to get to tell some of my own today. I love that. Why don't you share for our listeners a little bit about what your title entails? So, so you're the director of pastoral services. What does that mean? Give us some insight into what that means. Okay. So a couple of, uh, boy, I think it's been about uh, five years ago now. Uh, Archbishop George Lucas uh, here here at the Archdiocese of Omaha, which incidentally Omaha is in Nebraska. Um, for my Canadian friends, Nebraska is kind of in the middle. Uh, it's one of those <laughs> you know, it's one of those kind of Midwestern uh, states uh, in in the middle. Um, Archbishop Lucas did an envisioning process where they came up with a beautiful vision: one church encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. And at the time, I was in campus ministry. I, I served as a focus missionary for almost 20 years. Uh, I was loving what I was doing. I was doing some regional work with focus at the time. Uh, I had no interest in becoming a diocesan bureaucrat uh, in <laughs> any, way, any way, shape, or form. But I had a, a wonderful friend, uh, God bless her, who, who persistently chased me uh, to consider that position being open because the, the diocese did some work that, you know, that made that vision real. And, and that's what caught my attention. You know, it's like, okay, this is a good vision, better than, better than most. Um, but then she shared with me, it's like, yeah, the Archbishop has, you know, has kind of scrapped the old cabinet meetings and he has a leadership team. I'm like, really? <laughs> and they're hiring and, and they, and they want it. And just some of the things that she shared, I was like, I don't know if I believe that, but I actually have to go investigate. 
Uh, and so, you know, one, one thing led to another. Well, sure, I'll have a conversation. Okay, I'll apply. So now I, I've been here for three years. Um, pastoral services was a kind of a new creation. It's the, it's the grouping of our stewardship and development office, our school's office, evangelization and family life, the parish support team, which I lead personally, so I can talk a little bit later about that. And then a little bit of our, our ongoing support of parishes that, that have been through the experience of pastoral right, groupings and, and circles, as, as we call it. So that's kind of the grouping. All the folks that are interfacing directly with our parishes. Mm, that's a lot of people. It is. I don't actually know the total. I think we're like it's maybe 30 or so. Mm. Um, so there's a fair, fair number of, again, a wonderful team that I work with the other directors and then a team that I lead directly their support. Love it. Um, and their, their job, they're kind of the tip of the spear. Their job is they're, they're really leaning into coaching and workshops and some of the real on the ground formation of leaders in what it means to actually be a missionary. Love so, it. Yeah, yeah. All the great stuff. So hand as hand we pull hand, back, back, share your story. Well, yeah, thank you. Well, sorry for cutting you off there. As we pull back, I think to myself, when I first connected with you, it was because you were leading that team that you now call parish support team very mm-hmm. directly uh, before, because this new role for you, you ha- how long have you been in that? So I've been in this role for about six months now right. uh, or a li- little longer, but yeah, yeah. nine. And I, I started, yeah, kind of leading a team that the original, con- uh, you know, commission was, it was, it was called the Office of Evangelization and Catechism. Not, you know, for other folks that kind of know the, the layout of diocese, it was where our youth ministry and our religious ed support and praise God, very forward thinking, actually had a little bit of support for adult evangelization. And we just recognized very quickly that the typical modes of service were just not getting the job done. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, like the, kind of the typical mode is like, okay, we're going to have a, a cool workshop and we're going to bring in this expert on RCIA, and this person is going to talk about faithful Orthodox materials. And they're even going to teach like effective methodologies for, you know, like real accompaniment in RCIA. But that, it just, it wouldn't work. Not because there was anything wrong with the seeds that were being planted. You know, the materials were indeed dynamic and faithful and the methodologies were sound, but they would land in parish soil that, you know, pick your metaphor. Um, they'd land in Paris soil that either didn't have the nutrients for those seeds to sprout and grow or where the general culture was so cold, they never even began to germinate. Mm-hmm. And, and we realized like, okay, we got to, we got to go a layer deeper. And so that's when we really kind of stumbled onto um, both because of some of my experience in focus inspired by divine renovation, La Alto, other consultants we kind of saw were like, you know what, we need to get into the coaching space. Um, so we kind of stumbled in, into it because we're like, okay, we, I actually can't work without hope and I'm going to work hard you know, regardless. I mean, <laughs> father was self-employed, you know, he's a, he's a son of the, of the great depression. So hard work was, was going to be a given, but it's like, I actually can't work hard if I have no hope that it's going to bear fruit. Um, and so that drove us to a new way of doing things. That's a powerful statement. I can't work hard without hope that something's going to bear fruit because I think oftentimes, to be honest with you, we've just settled for working hard in parishes and dioceses because there, there is no hope. We don't work well together. We don't play well together. We don't really rally around a vision 
other than lip service and and uh, we don't make the hard decisions or have the difficult conversations and as a result uh, that we reach a point and I see this over and over again in my coaching we reach a point where we realize oh they didn't really mean it yeah right oh they were only willing to go that far and that's who's going to stop them or that's the pressure that's going to stop them or yes. that's the influence yeah. that's going to stop they don't really mean it because in many cases we have to go to the cross if we really believe oh, yeah. in what in what God is placing on our heart that's why it better come from God yeah yeah and it, you know it's always subtle ways like you know John of the cross in talking about the spiritual life said something he said a bird can't fly whether it's held down by a chain or a thread it doesn't matter either way it can't fly and what's sad i think we see this all the time that oftentimes what is holding back a particular leader a youth ministry leader a pastor bishop whatever what it really comes down to it's like i don't i, I just can't like my secretary is just really not in on this and she's been here forever and it's like really like the whole renewal of the church is being held by, back by the inability to have a difficult conversation about, I actually need you to, you know, do smile. this thing that you're not, you're not doing it. And smile. Yeah, I actually need you to be nice. You know, I don't know why there seems to be this, this anti-terrorism of meanness. Again, in parish secretaries, I don't know. God, God love them. Some of you, you know, love parish secretaries, but it seems like, it seems like sometimes there's this. Um, yeah, anti-charism where, where people people get grumpy and they're like, hey, we'll put you at the front door. So anyway. Well, or they take really good people, dump a bunch of stuff on them in an unwinnable situation that would make anybody grumpy. And, because, they, become, yeah, yeah. and they become grumpy. But whatever it is, I mean, I don't want in any way to minimize the real challenges of being a leader in the church today. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes they're real, there are real chains. Um, sometimes we're just being held down by a threat. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, we have a God who can snip threads and break chains. I love that. I love that. So when I connected with you and we, when we got together, you had assembled a team. How long had you been together? And you guys are really wrapping your head around. I remember uh, talking with uh, Father Jeff Lorig, which was a treat, because mm-hmm. I noticed that we were coaching a lot of churches in your area and thinking, I don't know. It seems like we are coaching an exorbitant amount of relatively yeah. speaking in one area. So that's when I reached out and called and had the conversation. Where are you trying to accomplish? When he told me what you were trying to accomplish, I said, well, we need to get engaged differently because yeah, there's another way we can do this. And that's when you and I met, you were leading your team. And, mm-hmm. and uh, actually you, me and Jeff, Father Jeff met, didn't we? Yeah. To discern yeah, yeah, whether I, or not. Yeah. Oh, oh, so much to, yeah. Father Jeff Lorig, uh, who just actually was, just took over as a, as a pastor. So he's, he's getting a chance, you know, a bit of dream his for a while to to be able to again he's been a pastor before but now put these uh these principles and practices into effect in his parishes um so that's yeah that's fun for him but he was really one of the one of the kind of the first visionaries behind this it was crazy when i so when i i came on that was that was july of 2017 um you know he and i and another uh god bless you jen mosher in my office were very blessed to inherit a lot of wonderful staff and then i was able to bring on some more. Um, but we went, you know, we went and we met for coffee and we we're just hanging out. And it was like, there was a lot of enthusiasm, but we still, none of us had worked together. We hadn't really talked about anything. And Father Jeff just started to talk about, okay, here's what we'd like to do. And as he kept talking, I'm like, what crap? Have you been reading my journal? Like, this is so weird. I mean, down to like the most mundane details, 
I was like, holy cow. So I was, I was extraordinarily blessed at the very beginning to have um, some staff members that got it and to have the support of a leader who really, I mean, not that if you were here, we would say like, um, not that we always agreed on everything, but we had some major pieces in place of, of a shared vision to help us move forward. Wow. And then I recruited some, some folks to, to come and come and join. So what problems were you trying to solve? So when we connected and you had that team and what problems were you trying to solve that you put that team together? Help us understand that. Yeah, that's a good, so there's a, a couple of things. Again, we, we did have a, an original commission um, that remained for quite some time where we, we had the responsibility to support youth ministry and religious ed. So the first thing we did right away is we're like, okay, we are not in the business of direct service. That is, that is not scalable. It's not smart. We're not close enough to the ground. So we, we changed right away to a business-to-business model, meaning like, no, our job is to support youth ministers. We don't evangelize young people. I, I love that. I did that for almost 20 years, but that's not my job anymore. My job is to support you in evangelizing young people. You know, same thing with religious ed, same thing with adult evangelization. So we got out of the business as quickly as we could of putting on big conferences. Um, and we're like, yeah, if those, if those moments matter, um, we're going to find a way if, you know, as needed to facilitate those. But our primary job is to support the leaders. And that was, that was the other thing, we're, which, again, came pretty naturally. We're going to focus on supporting the leaders in their ministry. And as we dug into that, what we recognized was even the best leaders, they were they let the desire uh, get suffocated by the overwhelming duties uh, that they have. And that seemed to be across the board. Um, it seemed to be most intense for our pastors, you know, who were handed one parish, but again, you know, for, for those of us uh, in the Midwest uh, where, you know, you have this kind of, you know, religious landscape where you've had, you know, Irish and German and Czech immigrants pour in to uh, areas, um, whether it be an, an urban area or a rural area. And now, thank you, mechanized farming and population shifts. Now, suddenly, you've got pastors who already had a huge load of maintenance responsibilities. And now they're, they're taking on responsibility for multiple institutions, multiple communities. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, if, if, the, if your listeners are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, it's like, well, I mean, you don't really think too much about education if you're starving. You know, there's just kind of like this hierarchy of needs. I think that by analogy, something similar happens uh, to leaders within the church. If, if you're running from stupid meeting to stupid meeting to stupid meeting and putting out personnel fire conflicts and drowning in email and like when you're overwhelmed with maintenance, particularly maintenance that is life sucking, um, it tends to vary. Some people hate the mundane tasks. Some people hate the, uh, the conflict resolution. But if, when you're overwhelmed with that, it's difficult to dream about mission because it's too painful. I mean, I don't let myself dream about things that I don't believe are possible because mm -hmm. um, it just makes me unhappy. And when you can't see past all of the daily stuff coming at you, it's really hard to continue to dream. And so we recognized 
okay, part of our job as coaches is helping people begin to dream again, uh, helping them, um, yeah, helping them kind of rediscover their first desires, um, which is both beautiful and messy and mundane work all at the same time. What kind of things were you learning as a team? Like as you were supporting that team, because that, you know, for a diocese, and that's what I found so inspiring about what you guys were doing. It's like, you were literally figuring out this coaching role Mm -hmm. so that you could love and bless pastors and their key people in their pairs. Like you, I love that you got out of actually trying to do it for them and tried to come alongside them and support them. And that, that is a coaching mindset. Mm-hmm. And and so what what were you noticing as a team as you were leading these people? Because that's that's uncharted territory for a diocese to head in that direction. That's why I just loved yeah. your courage. Yeah. Well, I remember very early on, you know, we kind of sat down and said, okay, who do we think is going to be receptive? You know, we had one member of the team who had two members who had about five years' experience. So they kind of knew the landscape. They knew they knew the other the leaders, uh, they knew, you know, the some of the pastors and and clergy. So we just kind of, you know, went, just kind of went through the directories and said, okay, who do we think is going to be receptive to this? And we just kind of went out on the road and we armed ourselves. This is what we appreciated so much about our time with you, your questions. We, we armed ourselves with questions. Uh, and we'd ask things like, all right, Father, like after the kind of the nicest of questions, like, where do you see the spirit really move? Okay, what, what, what bugs you? Yeah, like what if you could wave a magic wand? And we just we tried different questions, and some of them didn't work at all, and some of them did. But we we began to ask questions to to get a read of the landscape, what what is really happening here, and to get a read of their hearts and minds. And I remember, God bless him, I don't think he would find me quote him on this. Uh, I remember Father Mike's one in Columbus, Nebraska, um, and I was you know just kind of like I think we were on question number two, and he just went off in a good way, God bless him, but he was just like, and I'm just not going to confirm another kid who can't freaking say the Our Father. And he just like, I saw his passion and his desire. And I was like, yes, right. that's, that's what, what we're you're looking for. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> that's what we're, that's what we're looking, that's what we're looking for. Um, and so we, we really, we said, okay, well, we don't know what this means. He's like, I don't care. I want some help. <laughs> wow. Like, okay. And so we went, we went all in. One of the things we did is we recognized, okay, the ability to cast vision for what evangelization means is, that's a big, that's a big challenge, right? So one of the advantages we have being local is we can drive out there and be present. Um, and what, you know, one of the challenges that the church has right now is everybody's like evangelization, evangelization, and missionary discipleship. When I started as a missionary with Focus, people looked at me with suspicion. When I said I was a missionary, they're like, are you sure? Does the bishop know? You're reading the Bible. I mean, it was, the, <laughs> it was like, it was so countercultural. Now we've come to this weird state in the church where it's cool to say you're a missionary disciple. It's cool to talk about evangelization. We don't all mean the same thing when we use those words. And so we, we developed these, this concept of basically we did three nights of three hours each where we said, Father, here's, here's what we're looking for. We need you to gather some leaders, and we need you to get some pizza. And they actually got some beer, too. God bless them. We're like, you get some food and, and some leaders together, and we're going to come, and we're going to do really interactive workshops where we're going to, we're called them leveling sessions, 
we're going to get everybody on the same page so we know what we mean when we say missionary disciple, when we say evangelization. And we, we had borrowed, you know, some of what Sherry Waddell did with the threshold of postmodern conversion. We combined that with some other resources. We made all these games. So it was like quiz night and games and these interactive uh, exercises. My, my favorite was we would, um, super simple, we would, to give them an idea of the landscape, we'd show them some of the demographic research that talked about religious affiliation in their county. Uh, first off, trying to get their mind saying like, uh, you, you actually have a mission to the whole county. It's not just about the parishioners here. Um, those, those parishioners need to be cared for, but they need to be cared for as soldiers. They have a mission out to the whole county. So let's talk about the landscape of your mission field. Uh, and so we would show, we'd have them guess how many Catholics, how many of other religious denominations, Protestants, whatever, not a lot of Buddhists hanging out in rural Nebraska, mostly Lutherans, if they're not Catholic, and then, and then how many unaffiliated? And we, we had these three buckets that we did, right? We, we had like a red bucket for the, you know, for the Protestants, and we had a gold bucket for the Catholics, and a blue bucket for the unaffiliated. And we had, you know, we're nerds. We had read all these books about how do you design moments of impact. That was one of the books we read. How do you design these moments where you really get epiphanies? Because we knew we have to change the way people think, and we need to leave a mark here. And so one of the things we did is we hand them a hundred tongue depressors. We're like, all right, everybody be careful. <laughs> every single one of these is a soul, you know? And in fact, every one of these is, depending on what county you're in, this is 500 souls. This is, and, and I need you to put these tongue depressors in the right buckets. Tell me how many Catholics you think there are. And yeah, they do this. It'd take like seven minutes and they'd be fun. And they're arguing at their, at their tables and they put these in. And then we hit the slot with the big reveal. And every single time, and maybe shame on me for being so excited about this, there would be, they would be audible gasps because they had no clue, right? Rural Nebraska and 45, 50% of their county's population was unaffiliated, meaning not necessarily that they were atheists, but just that they, they had no religious affiliation with the church whatsoever or at least not enough to acknowledge it on a survey. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's this audible gasp. And then we start to talk about it, right? We, so, okay, so think about your cousin, like my cousin, my kids. And all of a sudden, it was real and it was personal. And we would come back months later and people would remember that. And that would be a, a, an anchor in their minds where they would say, okay, we can't keep doing the same thing. And so we, we just, we had fun saying like, we don't know what it means. So we, you know, we'd coach the pastor, we'd do these workshops with the key leaders. Uh, we'd help them figure out, okay, we need something to spark conversion in our parish. But what, what should that tool be? Should it be alpha or Christ life or, you know, small groups or do we do a retreat? And we just, we just rolled up our sleeves and got in the middle and man, did we screw stuff up? I re, you know, I remember God bless Father Damien Cook. I think we destroyed one of his team's offsites. Uh, accidentally, I didn't mean to, um, but we we had a lot of fun, and they God bless them that they, they trusted us, and we gave ourselves to them, and um, actually seen a, a lot of progress and growth. Oh, that's amazing. And so, if if diocese like so, I remember years ago meeting a lady who visited, uh, and she worked at a diocese, 
asked her what she did and she told me and I said, no, that's not what you do. What do you do? And she told me again, I said, no, that's definitely not what you do. What, what do you do? And she said, well, I guess I don't know what I do then. I said, well, you don't do that because they do that at the parishes and you work for the diocese. So clearly you don't do it. Do you support the people that do that? Is that what you do? And she's like, yeah, I guess that is what I do. I said, okay, that makes yeah. more sense. And I said, well, do you have the, the perfect model of what you think would work as the diocese and, and what you're trying to get people to do? I said, yeah. And how long have you been at your job? Seven years. Okay, awesome. How many people are totally on board using that program or whatever it is you're mm -hmm. thinking about and getting the results you're looking for? And she said, um, well, one guy kind of is. Yeah. I said, okay, so what, what are your goals for this year? She's like, well, I don't have goals. I thought, okay, so it's taken you seven years to kind of get one guy. So what if you had two by the end of next year? Like, why don't we nail down the guy that you kind of have and see if we can't leverage him to win somebody else over yeah. through the fruitfulness of what he's doing? Yeah. And it just never dawned. But she was going to continue to stay ridiculously busy doing the right thing, like the yes. things that she thought she should do, the things yeah. she's expected to do with no connection to fruitfulness and, and results. Yes. We were very blessed. Uh, again, it started with Father Jeff, uh, and and I picked it up and, and ran with it. Really, like, like very clear goal setting um, mm. at a quarterly basis. You know, because sometimes like, yeah, I set a goal, and it's you know, it's like the annual goal, and people will never look at it. Like, no, we would set quarterly goals. We use uh, the, the Lencioni Death by Meeting um, meeting cadence. So our goals are are clearly in front of us every time we sit sit down. Uh, and and talk, and then we have you know regular times planned once a quarter where we're really we just we get away we go to a cabin and we we dive in and say like okay we want to know if we hit our goals but we also want to ask the really scary question did our goals matter <laughs> did our did our goals move us forward in the vision of where where we're headed and so we we do all that stuff um, it it makes such a difference. Um, but it's hard. You feel like you have to be, you have to be a little bit of a jerk. You know, like one of the things uh, I love our, our family life uh, office folk, but you know, they would uh, initially, they'd come back with goals like, you know, we're going to evangelize families. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how many families are hanging around the chancery? You know, or like, are you going into people's living rooms? Are you, are you like, that's actually not what we do. We want to evangelize families. That is the, the great, but what we really do to, to your point is like, uh, we need to, we need to equip the pastors and the, the influential leaders in parishes to teach families how to pray or to evangelize families. Like that's what we do. And that simple mind sh shift mindset shift is so freeing because, okay, I can actually measure that and I can actually influence that. And what I love about that, Jim, is then, because I often, one of the things that I see struggle with, is I, you know, in bishops too, I'll ask them straight up, who do you think you're the most important person that God's placed, you know, in terms of the vision that God's placed on your heart for your, for your diocese, who, who, are the, who are the most important people? And inevitably, they always say the people in the pews. I'm thinking, no, they're not. Mm. If you're a bishop, yeah. it's, it's the pastor's. And, and your, yeah. your, your team that you support's role is to mobilize them to be amazing. It's like they yeah. don't think like that. It's like they're yeah. going to go out and save all these souls themselves individually one by one, and, or they're going to give a, 
homily at a confirmation thing and that's going to save the world. It's like, do you have any idea how much that doesn't save the world? Yeah. You know, and if I can speak to that, I think without trying to presume exactly the thought processes, I think it's a little, it's a little bit of a misreading of Acts of the Apostles and of the Pauline letters to, to get stuck there. Because Paul's an amazing evangelist, but if you really dig in and watch it, who are these letters to? They're, yes, they're letters to communities, but they're letters to the leaders of these communities. I mean, Timothy and Titus and Epaphras, which is a name that has sadly fallen out of use. Um, right, all of these, like, he's sending letters to the leaders, and he's immediately setting up local leaders and equipping them. And, and sometimes we, because it's, it's subtle, we, we miss the leadership emphasis. This was a huge growth for me. I mean, one of the best uh, first leadership books that I read, uh, John Maxwell, you know, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And in one of them, he, he talks about, I forget which one, but he's, you know, it's like, you know, leaders always evaluate everything with a leadership bias. And at first I didn't know what that meant. You know, a very young leader is like, okay, I, I don't know if I can get that. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, now I know what that means. My number one question is like, yeah, yeah, I don't care how good the material is. I don't actually care if the money's there. I don't care if the plan is good. I don't, don't talk to me about the facilities. Tell me about the leader. Like, that's what I want to know. Um, because that, that makes all the difference. Oh, I love that. Because everything rises and falls on leadership. Yeah. Not how yeah. good and orthodox the program is. Not that those things aren't important and don't bring value. Yeah. But boy, but, you, you can know, give great materials to poor leaders and get zero results. Yeah. Ron, if I could offer some hope, you know, like if there is anybody, any you know, fellow church bureaucrats listening, uh, and you know, if this is uh, you know, to offer a little bit of hope, it, it is overwhelming when you realize this, and you're like, oh crap. Okay, so who are the leaders? So we we spent a little intentional time praying and thinking about who the leaders were, and then we said, okay, we got a little bit of spending cash, so we're going to buy coffee. And we're going to buy lunch. And we just started to go around and meet with those leaders. And we, we did just some you know, fishing expeditions. We're just asking questions. And we were looking for kind of a holy discontent. And when we found it, we said, hey, how about the three of us get together next time? And what we did is we moved towards a methodology where it wasn't even necessarily the majority of our time. But one of the, the most important things we did is we did what, what we called mastermind groups where we would get some of the slightly discontented religious education leaders, right? Our, our DREs or youth ministers, we'd get them together in small groups and we would, as best we could, kind of engineer. We're like, okay, Tom and Sam and Teresa can be together, but Peter's got to go in another group. You know, we did, we did, we did our best to, to engineer a group where they could support one another in their desire to do something. They could learn together. And we just, it was just simple buying sandwiches and coffee and a little bit of prayer and some conversation. And, and that became a mechanism with which those leaders began to move together because most of them were lonely as all get out. They didn't, they didn't have anybody else who shared their sense of dissatisfaction and their desire to step out and do things different. And just gathering them together, just a simple hour, hour and a half, um, sometimes it was weekly, sometimes it was monthly, just fodder for conversation, encouraging one another. I mean, it wasn't rocket science. It moved the needle. 
um, and I'll give you an example, right? Sometimes uh, COVID like accelerated this transformation, but a lot of times religious education was dominated by a classroom model, right? Where you get these like these, God bless them, wonderful young children. And they're like, I think I love Jesus, but I'm sure I hate this. You know, <laughs> you get them in like a classroom thing. And, you know, it's like they're under stale fluorescent lights and they're like, and, and I'm not even talking about the times where you're in like junior high where they're like, okay, I, I am sure I don't trust Jesus yet. I'm just talking about even the young kids sometimes struggle. A lot of, a, a lot of any like religious education leader, catechist, like they can feel, okay, this isn't working. I can feel the disconnect, but they don't know what or how to do things different. And these groups help them make the shift towards an, a more integrated family formation. And it helped them do it in a way because there's so many pitfalls in family formation. I mean, you know, I could go on about this, but oftentimes we're like, oh, cool, family formation. And so then we just try and have our, we, we try and turn our moms and dads into classroom catechism. Like, okay, here's your worksheet. And it's like, right, that's not going to happen. You know, not if, I mean, we barely got, you know, cold mac and cheese on the table for dinner. And I'm really, I'm going to lead them through the worksheet. So we helped, they were able to help each other really make some profound shifts in methodology because they were together, because they had a, a supportive structure and they had wisdom. They, they're like, no, 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 we tried that. Don't go that way. And, and they, they talked about these things and moved together. And oh, who knew? Community is actually kind of a big deal in the, in the, uh, the, the Christian life in general, but particularly for those who are our leaders. How did that apply? How did those principles apply to the team that you brought together? Because they too were taking on new skills and new yeah. challenges into a, a, a subset of people that have never been supported like that from the diocese. I mean, that would have its tons of issues oh, to yeah. resolve and hurdles to overcome. I mean, we, we, had to take our, we had to take our own medicine. I mean, everybody's job descriptions changed pretty dramatically, uh, not overnight, but there, I mean, there were big changes in job descriptions. And we felt the, con the confliction, like, yeah, but I don't know. I don't actually think this is bearing fruit, but I do know how to do this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like it. And, and it was only, I, again, I was blessed. My, my particular leadership style um, tends to be very supportive. Um, and so I was able, I think they were able to heroically, the, the staff here uh, on my team and the diocese, they were able to heroically step out into new things that they, they admittedly did not know how to do because they knew I was going to be with them and help them figure it out. And we were able to create a culture like where it was okay to make mistakes. Um, and even, even still, it was, it was brutally hard. Um, and I'm drawn back into the conversation we, we had before we started to hit board. We really began to embrace our own challenges of like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm figuring this out as I go. And I began to embrace that because like we recognized there was a pretty deep run between what we were trying to do and the experiences of newness and disorientation that we were experiencing and what we were asking and trying to lead our parish leaders into. And we're like, you know what? Our faithful, our faithful embrace of this, one may supernaturally release the grace for that. I mean, it is a, an acceptable sacrifice we are offering as we don't, you know, ourselves shy away from, from the confusion and the disorientation. 
But, but even deeper, we became real witnesses because we weren't just talking about something we had experienced in a book. And we're like, no, 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 I read this. And Patrick Lencioni says it's awesome, um, which is true. But we also like, no, 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 I experience this. And, and I do this and we do this. And yes, it's hard to sell, but I, I can tell you, you know, Father, I'm going to have a very difficult conversation this afternoon. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace that for your conversation tomorrow. That is that is absolute gold, and in in the diocese that I work with, I see like I, f- I feel like you and your team, Jim, are out ahead, not far ahead, because mm-hmm. all well, I think so many dioceses are kind of moving in this direction. I th- I do think you guys are are out ahead, and it does require a humility and a, a high degree of faith and risk taking and creating an environment of trust and support. I, I'm thinking of a, a particular situation where um, the diocesan staff was struggling with a particular issue. And I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. of course you are. And we're going to deal with it because that's what leaders do. And if, you, and if yeah. you're afraid of that issue, then we're in big trouble because these are the types of issues all leaders face. Everybody you're going to coach is going to yeah. have to deal with issues just like that. So if we can't deal with it, as a diocesan, how can we ask anybody else to step out and drive in faith and continue on in the face of adversity? Like we yeah. are going to face it ourselves. Yeah. And, and, you know, Ron, I mean, some of this is just, there's an integrity issue as we deal with our, uh, as we, we embrace the practices, you know, that we ask or promote to others. But fundamentally, I mean, this is, this is the Christian mystery. You know, as, I mean, the, the words from the story of Emmaus, Jesus's words have been ringing in my ears the last few months, honestly. Like, was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer and then enter into his glory? That, that there is, I mean, we believe that Jesus saved the world through the cross, through suffering. Um, and he tells us as much that that will be the same pattern in our life. I just, one, I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't want to believe him, but I think deeper than that. And we, you know, we shared this, some of my, my own story. When I experienced the cross, the sneaky, most sinister, awful lie is that I'm experiencing it because I've been a faithful. Mm. And for, for those of us with servant hearts, those of us who desire to be faithful, who desire to be fruitful, the whisper of the enemy this is because you've been unfaithful. This is because you screwed up. Just pierces our hearts and paralyzes us and does exactly what it is designed to do. Mm. It stops us. And to remember again, hey, this is, this is the pattern in Jesus's life, right? If suffering bears fruit, uh, when we embrace it and when we, we experience it with him. Mm. I just had a, a meeting I meet monthly with a friend of mine who's a business owner and, and uh, hit the business situation shifted recently and he's gotten more involved in the hands-on stuff. And, and so with great intentions, he brought in all these really good changes and I asked how things mm-hmm. are going. He said, yeah, there's been some turnover, uh, some unexpected turnover and we haven't had turnover for a long time. Yeah, I went too fast. 
Yeah. <laughs> so this, this awareness yeah. that, that, but what I loved about it is like, yeah, and, and we're dealing with it and we, you know, we've hired some new people That's and great. it's like, yeah, sometimes things are going to go a little sideways, but don't give up. Yeah. And it's not because what you were doing was your intent was good. Uh, and you're learning. And I find leadership, a lot of it is having the courage to take chances and learn as you go. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. Sometimes it is our fault. Uh, but it actually doesn't matter. I mean, you know, it does. It's like, okay, I mean, if it's your fault, repent. But Jesus is not, I mean, again, thank you, you know, Acts of the Apostles. Thank you, Gospels. Like, Jesus is quite capable of dealing with imperfect leaders. In fact, he seems to have an affinity for it. So, so true. So true. Yeah, my, that's, um, that's how I console myself when I'm like, because there are a fair number of moments where I'm like, oh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing um, or I do know what the hell I'm doing. And I don't like it. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I can feel myself slipping back into this unhelpful pattern. And just to, just to console myself and recognize like when I'm at my worst, Jesus is at his best and mm-hmm. my weakness is a magnet for his grace. Um, and I don't always recall that in the moment. And I always, I don't always feel his rescuing in the moment. Um, but in faith, I try to remind myself, like, oh, okay, he he runs to me uh, when I'm broken. Yeah, Jim. As I'm talking to you, and I'm sure even as our listeners are, are listening, I'm, I'm sure that you'll hear Jim's joy and his faith and his passion. And sometimes people don't associate that freedom of faith, that trust, with an environment in a diocese, because sometimes mm-hmm. dioceses seem like they're so burdened with rules and process and procedure. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like a bureaucratic from the outside. I'm not saying it is, but from the outside, it can seem like a bureaucratic nightmare. And you don't have that, dis- you don't come across as somebody who has that propensity. So mm-hmm. how is that, is my observation anywhere near true? Uh, if it is, how are you dealing with that? What? Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's something, there is something to stereotypes. Um, you know, but by the mere fact that it's a stereotype, we know both that it's not totally true, but that there is something that gives that impression. So, yeah, I think it's an accurate stereotype, you know, that 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 sometimes joy uh, stops at the door of our chance. Um, I don't think it's it, it is not universally true. And it is. And praise God, I think it's becoming less and less true. Um, I think there's a. Again, part of what what I realized, and this is this is I think a challenge for me, kind of like where's the the inside outside ministry? Um, this could be you know as a husband and father, I'm married, I have, I have six kids. Um, remembering to yeah, remembering to uh, give myself fully to both ministries, uh, my family ministry and my work ministry. And then by similar analogy at work, if I'm super responsive to a tired pastor and encouraging and whatever, and, and patient with helping him make the mental and, and habit shifts needed, but I'm a jerk to the tribunal judge down the hall. That's not, that's, you know, that's not helpful <laughs> um, to, to say the least. And so, you know, learning to, for, for those of us that, whether it's, again, whatever your 
business, family, whatever, if there's somebody who's not, you know, not on the team, right, or they are on the team, but doesn't feel like they're on the team, being able to, to walk with them, again, there's wisdom, sometimes there, there is need for, you know, personnel changes and such, I've, I've done my, my fair share of that, but just to recognize that Jesus at the end of his life, the Last Supper, is phenomenal, even, I think, um, yeah, <laughs> Jesus says, Father, they are your gift to me. Um, and I'm like, wow. I mean, they don't, you know, they don't get it. They're like, I mean, I love the sincerity. All the que- you know, all the questions like, you know, surely it's not I, Lord, because they're all like, well, I don't know, in a moment of honesty, like it could easily be me who betrays you. And so they're, you know, they're not at their best. And yet Jesus recognizes that in all their weakness, these, this is the gift I've been given. Um, the Father has given me these people with, with all their idiosyncrasies and faults. He's given me these people as a gift. Um, and it's amazing how conversations go different when you receive those people as a gift. You know, in the context of evangelization, I love to tell a story about my neighbor um, before I moved to Omaha. So not my current neighbors, make sure anybody's listening. But I, I used to totally resent my neighbor for how perfectly, you know, groomed he had his lawn. <laughs> and, you know, but I'm, I'm like, I've got this missionary heart. So I'm like, okay, I should be praying for my neighbor. So I'm praying for my neighbor. And one of the secrets to good prayer is just honesty, right? And I just happened happen to have a moment where I was actually honest. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I want you to bless Steve. And I'm like, but Lord, I hate Steve. Like, damn, like that guy is like always out and his yard's perfect. And, and if he worked for the church like me and actually, you know, I'm just like, it's getting really ugly and really petty, really quick. And then I kind of get it all out there. And then Jesus just gives me this, this momentary memory where Steve's out there playing catch with his daughter and his son on that perfectly good ball. And I just had this moment of like, oh my gosh, I don't hate Steve. I think I'm jealous of Steve. Gosh, I, I wish I played catch with my kids in my yard, messy as it is, full of weeds as it is. I wish I did that more often. And, you know, we had been neighbors for quite a few years, and I didn't tell Steve, not his real name, I didn't tell Steve this story. But it was amazing how, despite I was trying to be a friendly, you know, evangelistic neighbor, it's amazing how our conversations began to change when my hidden heart for Steve changed. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's true of our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers. Mm-hmm. Great example. What hope would you give as we're winding up? What hope would you give? Like there are, there are, I, when I spend time with people and I get to hear their stories, I'm never disappointed mm-hmm. and I'm never not in wonder and awe of that creation that God made right in front of me. And so usually I'm pretty judgmental of people. I don't know. I'm not proud of it. (laughs) I can come to all kinds of wrong. You're the only one, Ron. You're the only one. I know. That's why I don't want to tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) And, and yet when I, when I hear their story and I get to know them, I realize, Oh, they're amazing. And, and so I know there isn't a diocese in the world that isn't filled with amazing people. Mm -hmm. Right, who all have their story. But I just want to ask you, what advice do you, if somebody's listening to this, they're a diocesan staff member, they're, you know, maybe they're struggling, uh, maybe they're not sure, is this really a call for me? Or, or, or you know, I, maybe I have 
just dialed in my job and not measuring anymore and I have lost hope. So I just, not, what advice, what would you want to say to them? What would you want them to hear today? Well, I can say is as much of a, you know, natural uh, optimist or extrovert I am, uh, I feel that too. I, I, I feel that too. Those are not struggles that are foreign to me. Um, and I went through some significant periods of loneliness as I, as I transitioned. You know, I mentioned that I worked uh, with, with Focus before and had just beautiful fellowship at our, you know, home parish and, and things before we, we moved cities. And, and I've experienced that. And, you know, it's like so humbling when you're like, ah, I've given a talk on this and I'm not taking my own advice. Um, I, one of the first things is just to, just to honestly beg the Lord for the gift of collaboration, for, for the gift of, of fellowship. Um, I, yeah, I, I, it, it took me a while to remember to do, and uh, maybe more accurately, to do it with, with person. Right, to persist in asking the Lord to bless me with co-laborers and, and fellowship. Um, and then, again, not proud of it, to receive those that were offered me as a gift. And as I'm like, no, Lord, I'd like, an, I'd like a different friend. I'd like a friend, that, you know, like, you know to, to receive those, those people offered as a gift. So honest prayer and the willingness to receive what is given I think is a, is, is a, is a fundamental. And, and that's maybe the, the next step is like, begin to gather some like-minded people. Sometimes we, we move so fast, keeping ourselves busy that we don't let ourselves get together and dream and, and have conversations. And I'm guilty of that too. You know, we've done a fair number of reorganization and I'm kind of a driven guy. So I want to produce results. And before I know it, I find myself walking past um, opportunities that I think the Lord has set us set aside for me to have some conversations, to hear people's hearts. Um, and, and again, this, this kind of holy discontent because the Lord uses that and, and our ability to come together and talk, pray, just simple coffee, lunch, those, those things make a difference. Um, and I think it's a particularly American, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but I think it's particularly American, you know, uh, pitfall to, to move so fast that we forget the, the human uh, aspect of just connecting and listening and talking. Um, Cause those things, those things bear fruit. You know, what I love as you say that it's because I've been blessed to be able to work in different parts of the world. And mm-hmm. it's funny how, how we ascribe certain things to our culture that are so universal and everybody listening yeah. in Australia and the UK and everywhere else all over the world going, no, that's us too. Like that's exactly that's what we do. It's not American. Like it's a human pitfall that we fall into. I legitimately, maybe it's just about, I legitimately think the Italians don't do this. <laughs> I think that I'm a hilarious story of a, a priest friend of mine, you know, who's like, you know, like in a lecture in Italy and he's like falling asleep. So he goes and he you know, gets some coffee and then he's like still falling asleep. He's like, what? there's not enough caffeine in, in this. So like, it's not keeping me awake. And then he you know, t- turns to his Italian friend. It's like, what do you do in Italy when you're tired? You know, is like thinking caffeine, coffee is the solution. And his Italian friend kind of looks at him puzzled. He says, in Italy, when we're tired, we sleep. <laughs> Such a such a foreign concept, right? For 
It's like, hey, it's one o'clock, but I am ready for a nap. Let's go for it. So, <laughs> Jim, as we close up, tell us a little bit about the the podcast you're doing because I I think I know a lot of podcast listeners. You know, they, they listen to all kinds of different podcasts, and I just yeah. love people to experience what you're doing. Okay, so it's called the Equipcast, uh, all one word. Um, we're on all the major platforms. Uh, we really are are zeroing in on the the, the equipping space. Trying to give, we, we let people share their stories of their ministry and their work. Trying to give people an imagination and uh, some inspiration for for what these these culture shifts, these methodology methodology shifts could look like. Once a month, we'll do a super short uh, skill demo. We call it. That's like, okay, how do I lead prayer in a team? Okay, how do I do a weekly review? How do I fire a volunteer? Like just we'll, we'll do a super short skill demo once a month. So it's called the Equipcast. You can find us there. Um, if you want to go to the Archdiocese website, it's equip.archomaha.org. You can find there, there's a blog and all the kind of show notes and resources are there. But if you just go to your podcasting platform, you can find us at Equipcast. All one word. Jim, it has been a treat to be with you today. Thank you for your joy, your passion, and the way that you model leadership. You are a gift to the church. Thank you, Ron. Thanks for what you do, too. We've been so blessed by by your work, and uh, so fun to be with you today. God bless. If you're a bishop or diocesan team member, thank you for all you do. I hope today's conversation was a blessing to you and the people that you serve with. If there's anything that I can do for you, please go to ronhuntley.com and let's start a conversation. Please rate the podcast, leave a comment, and share it with a friend. Thank you for joining the conversation. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.